Everybody and welcome to the first of a two-part series dedicated to the readjuster movement in Virginia after the Civil War. Prior to the Civil War, Virginia had taken on extensive amounts of state debt to pay for the modernization of its infrastructure and farming technology subsidies. The years of devastation that follow, along with one-third of its assets leaving with the secession of West Virginia, left the economic heart of the South buried in debt. At Virginia's new Constitutional Convention in 1866, the privileged elites of the state determined that the best course of action was to repay this debt and all of its interests at the expense of various public programs such as the education system. This policy, eventually dubbed the Funder Policy, caused immediate anger and dissatisfaction among the lower classes who took on the burden of a poorly funded education system alone. Virginia, prior to the war, had been one of the last states to adopt a voting system that included suffrage to non-landholding white citizens. And as a result, the lower classes, who had been shut out of politics for so long, were more resentful of the upper classes than Southerners in other states. Even after the adoption of a public education system, the elites still tended to send their children to privately funded schools, meaning that the funder bill to pay the debt at the expense of a well-funded public education system disproportionately hurt the lower classes. Adding to the lower class animosity, the proposed plan was set to pay back money that had gone primarily to support the upper classes, or worse yet, foreign investments. Virginia did not accrue its massive public debt through economically neutral policies. They came from state-sponsored investments in railroads, which made a select few extraordinarily rich, rather than through financing programs that had more tangible benefits for all of Virginia. To their credit, politicians originally designed most of these programs for the overall economic benefit of all Virginians, but these attempts failed miserably through a variety of causes including the destruction of rail tracks during the Civil War. Finally, conservative attempts to fund the debt left the lower classes unsatisfied because the plan called to raise taxes among the various classes equally, rather than through a progressive tax. Meanwhile, the only quotable defense for this proposition was that the funding of the debt was the only way to secure Virginia's honor in the eyes of the nation and the world. The first stage of the readjuster movement formed with these frustrations in mind, primarily drawing its strength from the eastern section of the state. These Easterners were deeply conservative, one-issue voters who desperately demanded the partial repudiation of debt. By 1876, the funders had solid control over all aspects of state politics and had managed to successfully promote the Virginian economy to pre-war levels. Under these conditions, the small readjuster faction to the Democrat Party had problem-winning votes. However, in 1877, the readjuster movement began to increase in size with the National Panic of 1877, causing the massive state debt to become a crippling issue. 
the state debt could no longer be funded along with an education system. A choice had to be made. So the Virginians were left to pick between the funders and no real public education system and the readjusters in debt repudiation. Under these conditions, the readjuster movement exploded into a viable faction. The readjuster coalition that came together in 1877 was not the same Eastern-focused faction as it had been in 1870. Stemming from a desire for Greenbacker policies and general animosity for the ruling elites, large swaths of voters in the valley in southwest had been added to the group of debt revolutionaries. Arguably more importantly, a third faction grew, surrounding the little general of the Confederacy, William Mahone. Mahone was originally a true-fire bourbon conservative in a failed railroad tycoon, but he saw the disaster surrounding the devastated Virginia budget as the primary problem facing the state and switched loyalties towards the readjuster startups. Historians often cite the failed funding act of 1871 as Mahone's personal political turning point, which allowed tax payments to be made using interest coupons, creating even further budget deficits at the expense of the continually shrinking public education system. Mahone quickly asserted himself as the dominant political strategist in Virginia and led his coalition to substantial gains in the 1877 election. Unfortunately, these gains were unable to make substantial political reform. While readjusters had a slight majority, it was never enough to override Governor Holliday's ready veto. The inability to pass reforms, the resurrection of the traditional Democrat machine in time removed from the Panic of 1877, made the political outlook for the readjusters going into the 1879 election unclear. By the end of the election, readjusters had lost the clear-cut majority, but much to their relief, the funders failed to make up enough ground to gain the majority for themselves. For the 1879 assembly, it would be the black Republicans who decided which party controlled the legislature. The Republican Hayes administration was strongly encouraging the Virginian Republicans to align themselves with the funders, which accorded with Hayes' southern strategy of appeasing the traditional white elite aristocracy. Mahone determined to try to convince the freedmen to align with him instead, promising access to the spoils system in civil rights reform. Historians seem to determine that freed people bucked the Republican administration because they had common interests in seeing debt repudiation, but also because they had reason to believe Mahone when he advocated for a lasting coalition. As representatives of the traditional ruling class, the funders had always held political power in Virginia, and were thus less likely to value and promote African-American interests. Readjusters, on the other hand, were startups with much less proven success in creating a white support base. Therefore, if freedmen could manage to push this group to the top of Virginia politics, free people could expect to wield much more influence than they could ever expect in the funder faction. The expectation for a long-term political coalition was quickly stymied during the 1880 election by the undercurrents of white supremacy within the readjuster movement, 
as well as the underlying Republican loyalties within the black community. During the election of 1880, Mahone made a tentative, explorative attempt to make a broader biracial permanent coalition with freedmen. While this coalition was already in place between politicians in 1879, this was the first election where the strength of the coalition could be tested by the voting masses. Mahone quickly found out that free people were just as attached to the Republican Party as white men in Virginia were to the Democrat Party. For that matter, freed people were quick to determine that Mahone's attempts were half-hearted at best, likely because Mahone feared that pandering too closely to the black coalition would cost the readjusters white votes. In fact, during the campaign of 1880, it was the funders who made the most clear-cut case for a biracial coalition, calling for the best men of both races to vote against repudiation. The turnout was thoroughly negative for the startup faction. They had lost the majority handily, losing both to the funders and the Republicans. From this point on, the readjusted movement would enter its third stage. It rebranded itself and created a thoroughly liberal agenda disregarding previous concerns about losing white voters. Mahone at this point declared that there would never be readjuster victory without freed people's support. Historians also emphasize the state of African-American voter activity and awareness during this time period. Not only were freed people voting at levels that would not again be approached until after the Civil Rights Movement, but they were using these votes to advance their own political aims. From 1881 to 1883, the readjusters would rebound and use this faction of pro-debt repudiation conservatives freed people, and white liberals to win elections throughout Virginia, and use legislative majorities to pass substantial economic and racial reforms. Thank you for listening to this week's 10-minute U.S. History Podcast. We will see you next week where we will discuss the final stages of the readjuster movement.